Believe it or not, I am an introvert. That's uh, always a confession I, I like to make because it demonstrates God's sense of humor that he would have me in a position like this uh, where it is all about extroversion. Um, and my life is uh, always longing for introversion. Um, I just have always been that way, and I've just smiled, uh, especially when God's call was confirmed in my life that this is what I was to do. Uh, I knew that I would be depending heavily upon God um, to, to do that and to, to do the things that he had called me to do. But part of my introversion, and I know a lot of y'all are introverted as well, um, somebody once thought I was saying perverted, um, but no, introverted. Uh, part of that is not wanting to do group activities. Now, some of you love group activities, like Sabre Hicks. She uh, likes to, I don't know if she likes to do them, but she likes to direct them. She works with the Visions of Hope group here during the week and directs them to do all kinds of things where they um, can experience things in a different way or learn or develop. There's always a goal to that. And when I was in school, I always hated that time. The teacher wants you to interact with your group. You know, you number off and you go to a particular part of the room and you have to do an exercise. That, that just was the worst thing for me. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> but when I, uh, as soon as I got out of school, um, I also realized that this kind of thing would go on in the workplace, and especially with church staffs. And, and I've been on some church, church staffs of one, and I've been on church staffs of like 60. So I, I have experienced this in different ways, and uh, it was just always something I, I never really cared uh, to do. And I wonder, uh, have you ever had one of these games take place in a setting where you are? Maybe it was in school, or maybe it was one of those awkward work retreats where you were assigned to do something with someone else. Maybe it was the game where you are assigned to describe the person sitting next to you with one word. Ever had to do that? Well, I remember having to do it on a, a church staff retreat, and and we were given construction paper and those high-inducing uh, markers, you know, that everybody opens the cap and gets high. And, and you were to write, to look at the person sitting next to you and write the name that you would give to them, a, a word that would somehow summarize them. And once written, we were instructed to get a piece of tape and tape it onto the back of that person. They couldn't see it, but you uh, would put it on there. And I thought, wow. Now is the time I can get back at some of these people. I've got, I've got some choice words that I would like to use to describe them. But the better part of me uh, overwhelmed that thought, and so I didn't do that. But I cannot tell you with honesty that all of the names that were read aloud were appropriate or were positive in any particular way. But it was a good exercise. If nothing else, we learned and concluded that it is extremely difficult to summarize someone in totality with one word, isn't it? How would people describe you? Or how would you describe people in your family or people that you work with? What is one word that would just wrap them all up and be able to describe them perfectly? Well, how would this game work with Jesus? I mean, is it possible for us to put Jesus in a word? Is it possible for us to reduce everything about Jesus into one particular word? Well, John gives us one here in our text today. 
one that does a very good job. I'm not going to say perfect, but a very good job of clarifying the identity of Jesus. And this one word is light. The first chapter of John could actually be seen as a a history of light. And thank you, Robert, for, for reading it for us. Because as we hear those words, we are taken back into history a bit. We are going back to the words that sound very much like Genesis chapter 1. In beginning, or in the beginning, this is what took place. And John is, is taking that language and taking that style and using it to help his readers or those who would hear his letter understand something different about God, something about Jesus in particular, that he was the word, or he was the wisdom of the world, and, and this wisdom has always existed. But this wisdom, or this word, and ultimately this light was coming into the world. And so, this first chapter is a bit of history. And just as the author of Genesis began this account with creation and the presence of light, so John begins his letter in this same way, that there is this light that is coming into the world. And this light is bringing a second creation or a new creation or new birth into the world. As John stated it, in him was life. And the life was the light of all people. It was important to John that everyone hearing or reading this letter would know not only who Jesus was and is, but would also understand what Jesus was made of, what Jesus consisted of, this life and this light. Such life and light would bring enlightenment to the world. And really within every religious system, there is this longing and this yearning for enlightenment, that we want to understand something different about our world. We want to unlock the mysteries of the things that happen around us. We understand that there is a supreme being that, works in our midst in ways that we really can't even explain in language sometimes. So we want to be enlightened to what this is all about. And so this is what the life and light of Christ was doing in the world. The presence, the words, the actions of Jesus were rays of light coming into the world, revealing with intense particularity the significance and the identity Of God in the world. For people who had a a vague understanding of God, Jesus would bring clarity. For the person who thought God was uncaring and basically non existent, Jesus would would bring uh, complete compassion and proximity. As we use that word at Christmas, uh, the incarnation of God, it's about God going local, it's about God coming into human flesh and living a while among us. Or as another translation puts it, God sets up a tent with us. He moves into our neighborhood. For the folks who thought God belonged just to them, Jesus would bring boundless and borderless illumination. What the world needed to know about God was shining brightly before their eyes, shining brightly in the darkness, as John would describe it, there in a stable, There in the world. So this light shined in the darkness of the world, shining for all people to see. And 
John describes some of what happened to the light. He continues this history of light in the world once it came into the world. How it was overcoming darkness or overwhelming the darkness, as I think it was read earlier, with this this power of illumination. It was seen and received by many people, John says, like John the Baptist, who understood his role as one who would point out that light to others. And that, in essence, is what he was doing. He was baptizing people there in the Jordan River, but he was doing it after he was pointing out that there is a light coming into the world, and it wasn't his light. It was a light much brighter than his. And, and as he would say, you know, I, I must go away. I must disappear, and Jesus must be magnified. His light will shine brighter than mine. And he was pointing this out that others might see it and others might receive it. As John the Baptist and John the author of this gospel found, not everyone did that. Not everyone received the light. Not everyone had any interest in stepping out of the darkness. But to those who did receive the light, they would become children of God. They would be enlightened by the glory of God and experience the fullness of God's grace. Paul does a lot of things with that word fullness, just like John does. The idea of being content, the idea of finally, after you've been scattered in so many different directions and you have the pieces of your life all separated and blown you know, to the four winds, God brings all of that together in Christ. God makes us full in Christ. And John points that out. There is the fullness of God's grace and that expression, grace upon grace. Have you ever felt that in your life? Not just grace, but grace upon grace. This abounding grace of God that continues to uh, overwhelm our sins and our fears and our guilt and our condemnation. All of that is taken care of by God's grace. Well, this new year has come with a lot of changes. Maybe already in this past week, it's been plenty of change for you. But especially within health care and within medical insurance, with education, and in case you've missed it, with the light bulb. Yes, that's right. As of 12 a.m. on January 1st, incandescent light bulbs used since electricity entered our homes can no longer be manufactured and sold. Stores are allowed to sell whatever they have left in stock, but there will not be any further stock that is coming. The new energy-efficient light bulb is now the standard. And some of these that they're making are supposed to outlast us. Uh, I mean, we, we won't be around to turn them off because they will outlast us. Our nation, and really our world, has a brand new source of light. As we continue to consider the meaning of Christmas, we recognize that the world already has a source of light, doesn't it? Our world has already been given a great, bright light, one that will outlast us, one one that is absolutely eternal. Isn't that what all of the light at Christmas is about? We put lights in our yards, lights on our houses, lights on our trees. We hear about light for prophets to share with exiles, light from angels for shepherds, and a light from uh, a star that was guiding wise men to Bethlehem. This coming week with Epiphany, 
we as Christians around the world will enter a time of focusing on what that light is all about. What that light reveals to us. How it does illuminate our lives. If we take some time in the coming weeks to put our focus on the nature of Jesus, then we can come to a deeper understanding of God. As we take a look at Jesus, we too can see that in Him was life. And He is a light for all people. We see that God came to be with us. All of us. Not just one group or one person or one church or one denomination, one religion. God came to be with all of us in a very specific and concrete kind of way. Not wanting us to stumble around in the darkness, aimlessly wandering around trying to find our purpose and our meaning. God doesn't want us to have a vague or a general understanding about who He is. God wants us here in our world today to experience Him throughout our lives and to see this life of Jesus Such an experience happens when we do approach the light of Jesus. I can assure you of that today. If you approach the light of Jesus, you will not be disappointed. We find what true enlightenment is all about. What we thought we knew about God, ourselves, and our world is just poor lighting. We are lighting our lives with poor substitutes of the eternal life and light that Jesus shines upon us. And it doesn't take much time being in His light to understand what we've been missing all along. And maybe as you think back at this past year, you uh, have considered, maybe just for a moment, what all you have missed with your faith. What all has been absent in your soul. And and perhaps there is this longing for something deeper and, and for your life to have more meaning and to make a bigger difference right here in our community. And so maybe there is this longing for light that is there. We see that our image of God is insufficient. We see what knowledge we have survived with in the dark and how silly and how impotent it is when we look at the brilliance of what we find in Jesus. We discover that the ways we thought we were moving about wisely in the dark are really just foolish. With the light of Jesus, our eyes are open to the reality that what we have imagined and what we have feared in the dark can't hold a candle to the life and to the light of Christ. The light is shining brightly in our world today. Do you believe that? I mean, I'm looking at it right now. I have seen how you have been so active and and so busy with God's work just in this past week. The ways that you have looked after one another. The ways that you have cared for other people. The ways that I know you will do that in this next year. God's light does shine brightly. It is glimmering here for you today as we gather. And it will be breaking through the clouds that will no doubt come into your life in this next week and in this next year. But it can't be rained out. It can't be covered up. It can't be overshadowed or underrated or overwhelmed. The light of Christ cannot even be eclipsed. There is just nothing that has been able to stop this light of Jesus. And when you feel like it is stopping, and when you see things happening in our community or uh, in our world, and you think, where is the light of God? Remember that it cannot be stopped. 
No power or energy can block the light of Jesus that enables you to be born again. That enables you to to go on living with the abundant life that God has intended for you. Nothing can outshine this light that is so full of grace and truth. And you may be in a place right now in your life where you feel condemnation. You feel that, that you've messed up and there's no way you can ever get back on track. But hear differently today. It is grace upon grace for you. Nothing can substitute for the constant and comforting warmth in this light who glows with the inhabiting presence of God in our world. We find that nothing at all will ever come along that can outdazzle Jesus. This Jesus who beams directly into our lives. Well, maybe that is not entirely accurate. There is something that can stop this light. And that something is you. You can stop the light of Jesus from shining on and in you by not receiving it, by not believing in it, by not allowing Jesus to illumine and to enlighten your life and the world around you. As John said about his world, not everyone believed in him, not everyone received him, not everyone accepted God's light in Jesus. And it's really not that his light quits shining on you but that you have not allowed it to light up your world. You have not allowed it to change your life. Henry Nouwen told the story of a a Christmas scene that he once saw. He says, The Christmas scene that Anthony arranged under the altar was probably the most meaningful crib that I have ever seen. Three small wood-carved figures made in India. A poor woman, a poor man, and a small child between them. He says the carving is simple. It's nearly primitive. No eyes, no ears, no mouths, just the contour of the faces. The figures are smaller than a human hand, nearly too small to attract any attention at all. But then, a beam of light shines on the three figures and projects large shadows on the wall of the sanctuary. That says it all. He says, the light thrown on the smallness of Mary, Joseph, and the child projects them as large, hopeful shadows against the walls of our life and our world. He continues, while looking at the intimate scene, we already see the first outlines of the majesty and the glory that they represent. Without the radiant beam of light shining into the darkness that there is still to be seen, there is little to be seen. But everything changes with the light. That's what we have heard from John today, isn't it? That there is darkness in our world. But everything changes with the light. Let us pray. Oh God, we give you thanks today for the light that you have given to us. You have looked at us as we have stumbled around in the darkness and as we have tried to to make our own way. And you have sent people into our lives to point out that there is light, that there is hope, that there is life. 
Help us as we enter into a brand new year that we would experience it in all fullness. That we would be able to know and even to declare to others that there is indeed grace upon grace. We pray this in the name of the light of the world. Amen.